Thanks, everyone. <clears throat> Is there like a clicker I'm supposed to have for the slides? Sorry. I'm Tina. Tina Colon Williams, I'm the worship pastor here, and I am grateful that I get to share with you guys this afternoon. Um, <clears throat> for those of you who haven't been around, we are in the middle of a sermon series that we're calling Asking God. Just about asking God the different kinds of questions, bringing the questions of our lives to God. Um, and each week we've been exploring a different question. And the week that I got today is a fun one. What's the point? <laughs> um, what is the point? Now, with this question, I might need your help to just do the thing. Oh. Um, with this question, I could, we could go in a lot of different directions, but the first thing that came to mind for me when I thought about the question, what's the point, is actually Sky Mall. Do you guys remember Sky Mall magazine? Um, anyone remember this in the planes? Yeah, they put it in the backseat of the plane right in front of you, and it's like a, um, a catalog of completely useless things that, that are very, very expensive and you spend time on the flight just like flipping through. So I figured I'd give you um, a little sampling of some of the things in Sky Mall Magazine that make me wonder, what's the point? For example, the backpack vacuum. I guess like if you don't want to stand up and vacuum, like you could stand up and vacuum with the vacuum on your back and like pay $200 for it. I don't understand that. Um, it gets weirder. There's this, there was one of the things that there is, is a beard hat. I guess to, in case you don't want to grow a beard, but you want your face to be warm. I don't know. Um, this one actually made me physically ill to look at. <laughs> the wine glass holder necklace. I'll just leave that there. Um, there are other things that make me wonder, what? What is the point of that? And don't get mad at me, but one of them is um, TikTok. Like, I know, I get it, I get it. Like, it's entertaining and funny, and maybe it's like a helpful platform to say certain things. Don't get mad at me, Rev Raya. I know you're like a TikTok celebrity. Everyone go to her page. But um, I don't know, for me, I just, I don't really get it. Um, mostly when you, look at, when you look at some of the things that go viral on TikTok, it's like concerning. What? What is happening? What is the point of that? I don't, like, I, I Googled, you know, what are the TikTok challenges, and they're, they're, they're disturbing. Right? So I don't understand. I don't know about you, but I do not understand what, what the point is of that. The last one, the last one I will leave with you is, is those, not just designer clothes, but like the designer clothes that look like regular clothes but cost four times as much. Prada, cotton tank top, $995 because it has like a triangle that says Prada? Like, I, I don't understand. Is, is the point like to know that you have something other people can't, I mean, that probably is the point, but... But why? Like, don't you ever feel like, man, I could have the same thing at Walmart for so much less and do so much with that $995? Anyway, those are some, some things that immediately come to mind when I think of this fundamental question, what is the point? But I don't, I believe it is not just stupid things that invite us to ask what's the point. If, there's a, if we're honest with ourselves and with each other, there's a lot that we pour our minds and our hearts into, that demand our energy, attention, and investment, that sometimes are worth considering why. For example, going to church on Sundays, pursuing romance through dating and marriage, having babies and buying houses, working and working and making money and saving money and spending money and investing money to make more money, studying, planning, moving, hoping, trying to have friends and trying to be a friend to others. We can throw ourselves into these things with gusto, but if we're honest, every once in a while, they get painful. Um, it gets really hard 
to do those and to pursue those things. And then all of a sudden, it can feel like this existential question hits us right in the middle of all of our hustle and activity. And it can knock the wind out of us sometimes, right? What, what is the point? What is the point of getting up in the morning every day to go to your job and staying at your job all day, every day, day after day? What is the point of doing your mostly unenjoyable work with these kind of unenjoyable coworkers and bosses? Um, what's the point of showing up to this pile of responsibilities when the earth is overheating and people around the world are dying and there's a million other things we could be doing with our time? Does anyone ever find themselves asking this question? I know I do. Um, a friend of mine uh, uh, is a really brilliant engineer and she's always had this vision of being designing biomedical devices for the developing world. But there's not tons of places that will pay you money to do that. So she had to get a day job. And then I remember she was processing with me how many hours she had poured into this project. Brilliant, brilliant engineers coming together to solve this urgent problem of making a butter sprayer for rich people. Like that sprays actual butter, not Pam, like actual butter. Apparently it's very difficult to do. But there's a sort of like, what's the point moment of like, wait a minute, what am I doing? And what do I do about that question? This question can get kind of dark. Maybe you've been walking through a season of oppression and trying to do things by the book, trying to do things the right way, but things just keep going badly and you can't quite catch a break. What is the point of following the rules and being ethical if it's never going to be good enough? I think about a lot of my clients with this. My day job is as an immigration lawyer representing undocumented folks. And I think of the so many undocumented immigrants in America right now who are hustling and paying taxes into a system that they're actually completely blocked out of. Or undocumented kids studying really hard in high school, but knowing they'll be blocked out of any financial aid for the college they might actually want to go to. Um, what's the point of dreaming if all your dreams are doomed to failure from the jump? If we're real, real honest, some of us might be asking ourselves, what's the point of all, all this? What is the point of showing up at church on Sundays, singing songs to Jesus all together and then going to post-church potlucks and sometimes sitting in small group in someone else's living room on a Wednesday night next to the dude whose voice and whose political opinions profoundly bother you when you could just be at home watching Netflix by yourself having a grand old time. Now, before you get up and leave, um, a little spoiler for you, God does have a point in mind for us and it is utterly beautiful and worth handing over everything for it. We will get there. Just hang on. And maybe when you hear all this question asking in church on Sunday, you might also hear a voice in the back of your head that is a little bit scolding you for even thinking that. You shouldn't be asking that. It feels wrong, even blasphemous to question why when what you're doing is reasonable or normal or responsible, like work or study or following the law. Maybe it feels especially blasphemous to question why for something Christian, like church or community or prayer meetings. But I will propose to you that this question, what's the point, is an essential one. And it's a question that our God is not afraid of, but actually welcomes us to ask. And I believe there is life on the other side when we bring this question to God and give our lives over to his answer. I have three main thoughts to share with you all today, and I'm going to give them all away at the beginning. Each of them grounded in the big story of God we see in scriptures. 
in the scripture. It matters to ask, what's the point? It matters to ask God directly. Who we ask makes a difference. And perhaps more than all else, it matters to listen and obey. Before we go deeper into this, if I could just pray for us in our time together. Holy God, um, I invite you to speak. I invite you to show up here in our midst, living God and be with us. Would you illuminate the scriptures? Would you illuminate your presence and your truth among us? And would you use these words to speak and to settle something new in each of our hearts today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So on the first point, it matters that we ask. Um, we need to ask what's the point, because if we don't ask, we end up stuck in meaninglessness. There's this one, <laughs> this one semester for me in college. I remember I had already joined right around four or more extracurricular groups. I have my Christian fellowship. If any of you guys have done anything with InterVarsity, you know that's a lot of hours. <laughs> I had my gospel choir. That was super fun. Um, I was doing some mentoring um, for elementary school students in New Haven. I had this volunteer thing called the Musical Cure, where we visited different nursing homes and sang various uh, musical performances uh, for whoever wanted to listen. And that semester, the beginning of the semester, I remember sort of like looking around and considering my highly accomplished classmates and thinking to myself, I need some more varied experiences. And so I thought to myself, I need to join a student publication. So I did. I signed up to be a journalist uh, for a small and barely read student magazine called The New Journal. Um, and I picked a topic for my first article. It was about like a bilingual school in New Haven. And I remember spending hours and hours researching for this thing on top of my full course load and my homework and my extracurriculars. And I wrote this really long article all by myself. And I remember the first night uh, that was part of the final editing meeting where we gather with all the other student journalists and we pass this, this stuff around and edit each other's stuff. And it was like so late, like one in the morning by the time my article made it back to me. And not a single sentence I had written remained on the page. Like, they like taken everything out and edited it and, and, and I just couldn't recognize anything I had actually written. And I thought to myself, wow, this article's not good. And then I thought, wow, it is really late at night and I don't really know any of these people. And then I thought to myself, wait a minute, why am I trying to be a student journalist right now? I had poured so many hours into this thing without ever once stopping to ask myself or ask anyone, what is the point? Um, nor did I notice that I didn't really have a point at all. I will tell you from experience, this is not the way that we want to live our lives. I think we are supposed to be asking, what's the point? Scripture actually leads the way, I think, in this question and explicitly gives us permission to ask it about literally everything. Um, some of you may have come across the book of Ecclesiastes. It's this entire book of the Bible dedicated to the question, what's the point? Um, and here's a little sampling of the wisdom we see in Ecclesiastes. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? What is the point of work? Laughter is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? What's the point of, of joy? The fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? What is the point of wisdom? What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? 
This one's sad. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The author of Ecclesiastes gives away his conclusion at the very beginning and repeats it throughout the book. Meaningless. Meaningless. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Perhaps this is why we toil and toil without pausing to ask what's the point. Perhaps it's because we're terrified that the answer is utter meaninglessness. What if there is no point? Ecclesiastes calls this a chasing after the wind, a pointless endeavor of life. And if that's true, then that's horrifying. Better not to think about it. But here's the thing. If we'd never pause to sincerely ask this question, our time in our entire lives literally lose their meaning. Nothing we do is a means to any real end or purpose, right? Just a, a means to a means, circling around and around and around. When we dare to ask what's the point, we expose this kind of life for what it is, utter meaninglessness. But this is not just a depressing message about how everything is meaningless. There is good news. Because there's more for us than just Ecclesiastes. Um, just this message that it's all meaningless, so we might as well just eat and drink and do our best to be happy with our lot, right? God isn't just inviting us to ask what's the point as an existential thought project and then try to rationalize a way to settle for the meaninglessness of what we find. We are being invited to ask this question directly to Jesus and to find life there. Which brings me to my second thought I want to share with you that not only does it matter to ask the question, but it very much matters to ask God this question. We need to ask this question directly to God, otherwise I think we become enslaved. By this I mean stuck in bondage to some other motivation that does not love us. Um, again, I'm going to be honest with you here. My default when asking this question, what's the point, is actually not to go straight to God with my question. It's to ask myself. It's like a rhetorical question. I'm not really expecting an answer. I'm kind of just asking the air and opening up a generic sort of musing. What is the point? Hmm. Asking, in, asking this profound question in this way typically pulls me in all sorts of directions, and most of them are not true or good. I am convinced that asking God what's the point is radically different than asking myself. Because out of all the different options for the point, God's answer is the only one, the only one, that results in our complete freedom from enslavement to meaninglessness. This week, early this week, as I was thinking through this message, I actually had a little chat, short chat, with Matt Crosman, who uh, was leading us in worship earlier today. 
Um, he also designs and teaches this amazing class called Life Worth Living. And the whole class is basically about this question, what is the point of our lives? <laughs> what is a life worth living? So I figured, let me pick his brain and see if there's any brilliant thoughts. And there were. He gave me the two-minute Cliff's Notes version of all the competing meanings of life from the different religions and philosophies. Ask him for more, because I ain't got it. Um, but sounds like there are two main philosophies that actually can be leading ones or take up a lot of space. Um, on the one hand, there's this thought that the point is to be as helpful as possible, to be useful, to be of use in helping others, making a difference, saving the world, that whole thing. On the other hand, there's this other competing thought that the point is to be as true to yourself as possible, to pursue authentic self-expression and happiness. Find what you truly, deeply enjoy. Embrace your truth and chase that down with everything you do. Both of these things sound um, quite noble, honestly. Um, and I personally know what it feels like to, when one of those points is the driving motivation for my life. As I mentioned earlier, I work in humanitarian immigration law. And I've, I've fallen into this trap before, and it feels like a trap, because if the point of my work and my life is to help everyone uh, or to fix the system, then unfortunately, the current US immigration enforcement machine in which I work has already doomed me to fail. I can be useful and helpful for a while for a few people, but it's just like a crushing ocean of need, right? I could be the world's best immigration lawyer, and it's you just completely and utterly overwhelming. Um, it's not motivating. It's crushing. I've also tried out the life where, like, the point is to make everyone else happy with me. And I've also tried the opposite, where the point is to make myself happy by mostly avoiding the things that cost me the most. But neither of those things really feel too much like freedom either. Um, when we ask Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we see something completely different than all of those other options. Jesus' life and ministry completely undermines all of our typical go-to motivations. A lot of us probably think of Jesus, it's easy to think of Jesus, as having his core mission to save everyone, to save humanity, right? But if you look at his actual life, like how he lived it day to day, rescuing everyone or being useful to everyone clearly was not Jesus' core motivation. Because over and over, we see Jesus making these decisions that reveal he's not actually motivated by other people's needs. He did rescue, yes. He is useful, was useful on earth, yes. But that was never the point. And you can tell, because Jesus chose the single most inefficient mechanism to save the world. He started out in diapers in an unimportant refugee family that nobody knew about. Um, he took years to learn to speak, just like anybody else. And he took decades to grow up and become a grown-up. And it's like useful to humanity. And still, when he became a grown-up, he waited until he was 30 to formally start his like productive ministry that we know about, right? Jesus, literal God in human form, spent years of his life working a very regular job, building and fixing furniture. Some of us in this room aren't even 30 yet, and we are like, convinced we squandered our lives already. Jesus did what with his time for three decades? A waste of potential. Even... <laughs> I mean, look at it. Even during his time of short 
short time of public ministry, whenever things really start popping off where Jesus goes and people are getting healed and they're like, yeah, I want to follow you, let's go. Jesus often abruptly leaves and just like leaves work unfinished. Um, Have you ever noticed also that Jesus is literally never in a hurry? Ever in a hurry. And this is costly and controversial. Multiple times Jesus let people die on his watch. So his priorities obviously come from somewhere other than the urgency of the human need for his services. He's radically free from all that stuff. The point for Jesus is also obviously not the pursuit of happiness or complete authentic self-expression. Jesus does some amazing things totally in secret, like turning water into wine, but only the servants know about it. Some of the biggest proclamations about his true identity as the son of God happen completely in secret. Over and over, he lets people misunderstand him, even to the point of death. Obviously, the avoidance of suffering wasn't a core motivation for him. We know how this ends. Tortured, beaten, murdered as a common criminal, right? Jesus purposefully walks through totally avoidable suffering, totally hated and misunderstood by the world, and never loses his joy. Jesus' own teachings explicitly offer us an answer to this question, what's the point? In a way that is wildly radical and incredibly freeing. We'll pick it up here, Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The point for Jesus is the kingdom of God. He seeks it first, invites us to do the same. We see him say it constantly throughout his life. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is upon us, right? For Jesus, this is the point. So, okay, great. What what is the kingdom? Matthew 13, verse 44, he gives us a little bit. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. The kingdom of God is something tangible. It's a place, a reality where all things are right with God and right with one another, the end to our means. But it's also a way The way of the kingdom is a breaking in of this ultimate reality in our day-to-day life. It's not just the end goal. It's here, and it's hidden, and it's worth giving everything up for. It's also a person who is alive, the person of God, three in one, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Our soul can recognize this kingdom, but it seems like it's something that's kind of easy to miss. Um, The Gospel of Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus describes this as a mustard seed as yeast that works through a whole batch of dough until the whole thing is changed. Tiny, difficult to find, but oh my God, it is powerful. It's the kind of stuff that when we're paying attention, our soul can recognize as otherworldly type beautiful and transformative. The stuff of being alive in a way that has absolutely nothing to do with our possessions or our impressiveness or our self-fulfillment. So I wanna be clear here. I think the witness of scripture is clear that the kingdom of God is not just a new framework or philosophy to sign off on or follow, nor is it a list of super special and super effective Christian work. 
The kingdom of God is love. It is God himself. At the end of Jesus' life on earth, we catch this intimate moment where Jesus is praying to his father. And in this prayer, he distills the whole point of his ministry. And he says this, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. Jesus came so that God's love may be in us, so that Jesus himself might be in us. The early church had to continually remind themselves of this after Jesus ascended into heaven. We see in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves have, has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love has not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. The whole reason God came to us, the whole reason Jesus was here, was so we might live through him. So that God himself may be in us, that we may be in him, and that in him we might move and live and have our being. Um, it might sound confusing, but I think at the end of the day, it's actually super simple. What's the point? The point is God. Not doing stuff for God or saving people for God or working on ourselves for God. Just God. Not a distant or dogmatic system that is God, but a living God who is love. To be known and loved by God and to know and love God and to embody this reality as much as possible in the tangible here and now of this world, that's the kingdom of God. And that's how the kingdom comes. And at the end of the day, it is the only thing worth anything in this life. Which brings me to the last point it matters not only to ask, not only to ask God, but to do it, to listen and obey. When we ask God, what's the point? We have to orient our entire lives around God's answer because there's no other acceptable way to respond. You can write entire treatises on why and how the kingdom of God works, but unless we throw our whole selves into the pursuit of this kingdom, this friendship with our God of love, then we're stuck in meaninglessness and servitude still. Having the right answer just won't save us from that utter meaninglessness we see in Ecclesiastes. It requires our embodied obedience. Even when we're doing all the right things with our time, right? Even when our schedules are overflowing with noble Christian activities that look on paper just like the kingdom of God, it is trash. <laughs> it is nothing unless we are actually chasing the kingdom of God through it. Does this make sense? We can't let ourselves get stuck in the asking part. It's really tempting. I know it's tempting to me. It's tempting to ask God, what's the point all day and sit around like waiting for an answer? And sometimes maybe we feel like we've 
like arrived at the theologically correct answer, even then it's really tempting to sit around considering and contemplating the precise meaning of God's invitation to seek first the kingdom. And maybe like, oh, once I get all those instructions on how to seek first the kingdom, then I'm going to seek first that kingdom. But I'm just going to wait until the Lord, you know, spells it out for me first. Um, but when we do that, we are literally missing the point. Whenever we get stuck in that question, what's the point of my life, Lord? I suggest we switch the question to a more tangible and immediate one. What's the point of today? What's the point of this next hour? What's the point, the kingdom beauty buried in the field of whatever I'm doing right now? The Bible talks about God's word being a lamp unto our feet. It's not always a floodlight for the entire path ahead. Isn't that the case? But no matter what, our conversations with God can and do illuminate our next step. Um, only as long as we keep walking, though. It's like that old song. Y'all know the song? I will seek you in the morning. And I will learn to walk in your ways. And step by step, you'll lead me. And I will follow you all of my days. We do not need to actually know the answers to life's biggest questions. Um, beyond the one answer that matters, God. That's enough. That's actually enough to orient our lives day by day by day. What's the point of my life? God. No, really, what, what's it actually for? God. I don't, know, I don't know what that means. Well, in the meantime, how about you pursue God? But how? Today, pursue God. In whatever you're doing, look for the love of God and chase it down. Receive it. Spread it. Sit in it. Chase after friendship with God, the beauty of God, the company of God, wherever it might be found. That is the point. But it doesn't work if you just think about it. You have to live it. And you have to hold literally everything else with an open hand. So my exhortation to us, church, is this. Let us seek first the kingdom every day. You don't know what you want to be when you grow up? Today, your call is to live and to live in Christ. So do that. Do you have a boring job that you're not sure you should still be working in? Even before you know whether you should stay or go, seek first the kingdom today. Stay hungry for God, even in your boring job, and live in Christ there. Are you having a hard time with someone at church? And are you wondering why you should even keep showing up? Yes, keep asking those big questions. But in the meantime, through every minute you spend in this frustrating church experience, chase the kingdom. Because there is kingdom in that field, even in that one, waiting to be discovered. That's the point of your life today. And you will find yourself more and more free from all meaninglessness and servitude as you chase it down. And there might be some of us here for whom that invitation to seek the kingdom in the day-to-day in -day life actually just feels impossible because you are in the deep of the valley of the shadow of death and there's no kingdom, no kingdom to be seen.
<laughs> and if that's you, I just invite you to still seek first the kingdom. Because it's a forever kingdom. It's not just in the circumstances around you. It's, it's what you can't see. It's a kingdom that lasts forever. It outlasts all the muck and the tiredness and the grime and the shadow of the valley. Like, it's a forever kingdom. So no matter where you are, wherever you find yourself, seek first the kingdom. That's still the point of your life. And all the other things you need will be added to you. <sighs> Family, our God is so longing for us to be a people fully alive. Not trapped in meaninglessness, like a means to a means to nothing. Not trapped in slavery, stuck in servitude to some deeper motivation that doesn't love us back. But fully alive, like Jesus is alive. Scouting out for a kingdom buried in the fields of our messy and sometimes boring lives. Ready to pursue God with everything we have. I'm going to close our time together with some concrete invitations for you. First invitation, ask God daily, what is the point of this day? I want to invite us each day, every day, for like five minutes. You can do this. It doesn't have to be like an hour. Five minutes. Before you do anything, um, try out sitting by yourself in the presence of God and asking God, God, what is the point of this day? You may leave a little space, wait for the answer. Let him surface one thing, just one could be a simple thing, a little kingdom mustard seed for you to look after and tend that day. And for the rest of the day, try and fight to stay attentive to the kingdom there, whatever goes down. And do it again the next day, and the next day, and the next day. For a week, try it out, and then let me know how that goes. Second invitation for us, um, open your hands. Uh, Y'all remember from the scripture I put up on screen earlier, those illustrations of the kingdom, there's this constant theme of like sell everything you have and grab it, right? Some of us, um, all of us really, have stuff. We have stuff. Stuff that we cling to as givens in our lives. Maybe they're good, maybe they're abundant, and we like them and we want to keep them. Um, some of us here are rich. Maybe we don't like feel rich because of bills and stuff, but like we are, we have things. Um, and there might be places where God is inviting us to open our hands that we have wrapped around some of the stuff we like a lot um, and pour it out as an exercise in surrender to God's bigger kingdom purposes. And maybe we'll find ourselves a little bit freer than we think after that. We see this in the early church all the time. People sold literally all their stuff to share it, strengthened their allegiance to the kingdom of God. Um, but yeah, consider before the Lord. What might, what might you be inviting me to open my hands and pour out? Um, remember, Jesus says, why do you worry, right, about all the stuff that we need? Seek first the kingdom, all else will be added. Another sort of layer to this invitation to open our hands is maybe you're not in a season where you're, like, grabbing onto a whole bunch of stuff. You don't feel particularly abundant. I think the Lord might be inviting us to open ourselves to seek God in hard experiences, What's a place in your life now that feels particularly unfulfilling? Um, going to work? Is it that these days? Maybe just parenting, singleness, a commitment to celibacy until marriage? It's getting real. A challenging service role in the church? Um, whatever the difficult 
thing may be, what if we re-upped our commitment to look for God there um, in whatever those places may be of waiting and toil and suffering? A concrete invitation on this front is to, you heard earlier in the announcements about the, the march next Saturday for nonviolence. This, this feels to me like a very kingdom invitation because it's costly. You're giving up hours on a Saturday and it might honestly feel pointless. Right? Like, how is walking from a neighborhood to the green going to, like, solve homicides? We need to fix it. Um, but I would invite you to consider joining next Saturday as a tangible, boots-on-the-ground kind of way of choosing love. Because the point of lamenting at these sites of violence is love for the beloved image of God that was slain there. The point of marching is to manifest kingdom love to a hurting city. Not to fix anything, not to prove ourselves, just, just love. So that's, like, a concrete way you can try that out. Um, next week. And the last concrete invitation I have for you guys um, is to surrender to Jesus. Um, Some of us here have never actually made a decision to follow Jesus. We've been curious about Jesus. We've kind of danced around Jesus. We've like contemplating the meaning of the kingdom and found it to be very inspiring. But we've never taken that step right? Like the, almost like the word of the Lord has been a lamp unto our feet just for that next step, and we're just kind of looking at it. Um, I think that for some of us here today, if that's you, there's an invitation to take that first step and say, you know what? I want to choose to follow this way that is Jesus, to follow this seek first the kingdom type love. Um, So whoever's doing prayer call can come up. like the Lord wants to meet with us in a real way. I think it's easy for this, a talk like this to be like, oh, that's a cool idea. La, la, la. Um, but I think God wants to make it tangible. Um, and so I want to invite some of you who maybe felt stirred up in a particular way by any of those tangible in- invitations that, that we just talked through um, to take a bit of a risk and do something a little bit different and then just stand up as an act of faithfulness and hunger for something more. Yeah? So for that first um, group of people, it's folks who feel stirred by the Lord, um, by that invitation to open, open their hands, right? If there's something specific, whenever I was talking about that, where you're like, I know, I know the thing, the thing I'm supposed to give up or choose open-heartedness of hope for. And it's hard and I don't want to, but I, I know what that is. If that's you, I invite you in this moment, right now, in this room, safe room to just stand up stand up before the Lord even now maybe even with your hands physically open and if you're one of those people who you know um, you haven't really taken that first step that first step toward Jesus but you want to um, feels risky feels unsure but you, you, you know in your heart of hearts that it's worth it I invite you to stand now to stand with hands open and expect the Lord to meet you and to move. I'm going to pray over us. Um, if you are see someone standing near you and around you, I invite you to extend a hand and in your heart just like hold that person up before the Lord. If you feel so moved, you can actually get up and gather around those people and speak a prayer of life over them. Literally right now, you are invited to do so. You can talk while I'm talking. I won't mind. Um, 
And I just want to pray over these ones. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. Hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come. Your will be done in these lives, in these ones, as it is in heaven. Give us each day our daily bread. Let us know what it feels like to have that worry lifted off our shoulders with you as our provider. God, forgive us all the ways we stray, we chase after other points, other motivations that don't love us. We return, we repent, we rejoin you and your invitation for us. Even as we forgive others, we release what we're holding. Lead us not into temptation, Lord, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen.